Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast, this special uh, second week of the Josh Duggar trial special edition of the Leaving Eden podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with Sadie Carpenter. Hello. I am uh, feeling a lot better than I was when I recorded the last episode, and I am ready to get into uh, Monday, December 6th and Tuesday, December 7th of the Josh Duggar trial. So if you're just joining us now, uh, you might want to go back and take a look at the episode that we released on Saturday, which is the Josh Duggar trial week one recap, uh, where we went through and we talked about the evidentiary hearings and the first three days of testimony in that. Today, we are talking about Monday and Tuesday, and we decided that we wanted to do this episode and get this done today because the defense has just rested their case tomorrow or at least today, which is the day that this is coming out, the day that you're probably hearing this is when there's closing arguments, and we don't know when there's going to be a verdict. It might take a while or it might not take a while. We wanted to catch you up on everything that's happened so far through the end of day on Tuesday so that we can all go into the verdict on the same page. Anyway, before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast. Um, 
It's usually about Sadie Carpenter, my co-host's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. But we talk about this cult. We talk about her life. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about religion. We talk about the real and present danger that cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like the show, if you are a fan of the show, say you really appreciate our Josh Duggar trial coverage then what you can do, you can head over to our Patreon and support our show financially, and you will get access to extended and uncensored episodes of our podcast. And we try to have a little bonus content on every single one of our episodes, except for, I think, um, these legal update ones, just because they're so... They're very dense. Just because they're so dense and we're in such like a time crunch when we put them out, we don't have time to do two edits on them. And for anybody who is just now joining the show because of this Josh Duggar trial coverage, I was raised in the IFB. It's the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, which is extremely, extremely adjacent to the IBLP, which is the subset of the IFB movement that the Duggar family comes from. So while I wasn't completely raised in the same culture as the Duggars, I was raised very, very, very close. And it gives me a bit of insight into what is going on in this Duggar case. If you want to catch up with my story and some of the terminology that we use, episode 57 will be a good start. Yeah. Um, and like just as an example of how close Sadie was to this movement, um, if you listen to our last uh, Josh Duggar trial episode, she talked about Caleb Williams. Uh, who was somebody that she knew growing up, who was friends with her brothers and who was like closely associated with the Duggars and who was employed at the car dealership and was possibly going to be called to testify, but ended up not being called to testify. So that's sort of like how adjacent Sadie was. So are you ready to get into the coverage of the trial? Yeah, let's get into it. So credits for the information in this episode go to C.C. McCandless. I don't know if it's McCandles or McCandless. I apologize. Anyway. There's two S's. It's probably McCandless. That's what I realized today after thinking I probably said it wrong on the last episode and feeling embarrassed about that. Uh, But C.C. McCandless of KNWA, it's the local news station in Arkansas where this trial is going down, has been doing excellent reporting. We are all uh, very thankful. Local journalists are the lifeblood of staying informed about important issues. Doing such a fantastic job. Uh, Also got information from the Ashley's coverage. Carrie Jernigan, who is a lawyer on TikTok. Uh, The Sun. A a note on using The Sun as a source. We understand that they're a tabloid and as such are not necessarily the most ethical of journalists. And we, of course, know that they have gotten some things wrong during this trial. So we take everything they write with a grain of salt. The way that they are presenting updates a little bit at a time really helps me with putting things in chronological order, which is important to me. So that's mostly what I'm using their site as a source for, just for transparency. You know, before we say anything on here, we really like to try to double check it and make sure that it it is accurate and there's multiple sources reporting it. Yeah, I try to have two sources where I possibly can. Uh, Speaking of sources, we do want to give a big thank you to the... Duggar's snark subreddit. There is an extra S in there, which is another mistake that I made last time. But the moderators of that subreddit have really informed how we do this coverage. They point the community towards better terminology. They lead the way for people covering the trial 
in depth without feeling like we are obligated or need to share any graphic details of what is actually pictured in the images that Josh Duggar allegedly downloaded. Speaking of, just like last week's trial update episode, we will be avoiding any and all graphic details of the materials that Josh Duggar allegedly downloaded. So although there is a trigger warning on this episode for general discussion of child sexual assault and child sexual assault materials, this is a safe zone for people who do not want to know the details of what these files contained. Like All we're going to say is sexually exploitative and violent images and videos involving children. That is the most graphic that we're going to get. If you want to know what's actually in them, you can look it up. It's it's out there. Yeah. So if you do not want to know, the Duggars Snark subreddit and the Ashley's coverage are your best bets. If you do want to know, The Sun has published some details. So take care of yourself. I do understand that that a lot of us want to follow this case really closely, and I'm right there with you. I've been checking up on this multiple times a day. I have been posting some recommendations for distraction content and self-care on my Instagram story. My Instagram is at Sadie Carpenter Music. I have also been posting lots of pictures of my cat. So if you need brain bleach or if you need a minute to decompress, uh, pictures of cats are always a good idea. And you can see pictures of my cat on my Instagram. All right. So let's take us into it. Okay. Um, you know, I I was thinking about something because we've been talking on our show about the satanic panic recently and satanic ritual abuse. And especially we've got episodes coming out and we just had two episodes come out uh, last month about it. I was thinking about like and I had the grave misfortune of uh, seeing on Twitter somebody describing what was in these uh, uh, images and videos uh, that Josh Duggar was allegedly consuming. And I was thinking, how is this different from the satanic ritual abuse, you know, that, that Christian fundamentalists have been like screaming about for years and years and years and years and years. And yet, you know, when one of them is allegedly involved in it, you know, it's, you know, they, they put up their shields and they, you know, they circle the wagons. Yeah. The things that are depicted in the files that he was downloading or that he was allegedly downloading are not material, materially different from the satanic ritual abuse allegations of the 80s. I, d- I just think it's interesting that what they are afraid of is what he was allegedly viewing, but he's one of their own. And, and it's interesting to me that I have not seen a single allegation of Satanism or satanic ritual abuse. I have seen Fundy's post, oh, Satan attacked him and made him sin or Satan tempted him to sin. But I have not seen any allegations of him being a Satanist, which is odd to me because yeah. you would think that that would be their logical conclusion. Well, it makes me think of that quote from, you know, the quote from Benito Mussolini. That's uh, whatever it is that you're doing. Accuse your enemy of that. Ooh. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's just what it makes me think of. You know, I I, I completely agree. Not that all fundamentalists are engaging in child abuse, but that one of oh, the of most prominent not. fundamentalists in America is at least consuming child sexual abuse materials. Allegedly. Allegedly. Still, did I miss this? Allegedly. Did I miss the word allegedly? Yeah, I, I guess I don't know. We we've... we we've said the word allegedly a lot, and um, hopefully we are able to make it through to the verdict and be able to say one way or the other. Oh, I have two notes for things that happened over the weekend. 
Go for it. Uh, Number one, Cousin Amy continues to be messy. We continue to be here for it. Notably, she called the IBLP a cult, which is the first time that I've seen that from her. Uh, Heard that loud and clear, Cousin Amy. The other thing is that we talked about on last week's episode how Justin Duggar left the courthouse and gave a big smile and a thumbs up, and that was really inappropriate. His mother-in-law defended him on social media. I don't know. I know that very early marriages do work out sometimes and turn into something really beautiful. And I know that, that some people at 18, 19 are pretty mature, but he just seems really immature and and childish. But that's really kind of immaterial to this case. Let's, yeah, it's that's just a, yeah, what the people just, were talking about over the weekend while we had nothing to actually talk about for the t- for the trial. Monday, December 6th, court opened with continuing the last little bit of the prosecution evidence. I think that maybe I got my little theory confirmed about the prosecution wanting to go over the weekend because they only called three final witnesses and only took about half a day more of evidence on Monday. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. So the prosecution, what witnesses did they call on Monday? Um, so let me do the roll call of Duggars and associated family members, and then we'll go to that. Uh, Anna and Derek were present, like we've seen from day one. Joy, Anna, and Austin. Again, we had some new additions. On Monday, we saw Jessa Duggar Seawald and Jason and James Duggar. So three new Duggar sibling additions. That it, that's it for Monday, and then there's a big bombshell in attendance on Tuesday. Oh, who's that? Well, I'll tell you when we get to Tuesday. So before the prosecution rested on Monday, they did call three witnesses. First up was Clint Branham. He is there in two capacities. Number one, he knew Josh Duggar back in the early 2000s when Josh was working on the Holt campaign that we discussed in the first trial episode. He also went into the cybersecurity field after that, and he is still working in that field. So he's an expert on both Josh Duggar and computers. That sounds like he could be extremely valuable. Yes, and I think he was. Branham testified that Josh was a, quote, power user in regards to computers, that meaning that he would be well aware of and capable of doing things that the average computer literate person would not have the skills to do. Specifically, Branham testified about a conversation he had with Josh back in early 2010, where they discussed covenant eyes and how a person could get around covenant eyes by using Linux. He said that he told Josh about partitioning a computer to boot Linux, and Josh asked him, well, how would I do that? If you're using Linux on your computer, chances are that, like, that's not a basic thing that everybody's going to do. Like, if if you're just a regular person who needs a computer, you know, you're going to use whatever. You're going to use a Mac. You're going to use a a Windows computer, whatever. You're just going to use that for whatever you use it for. You're not going to use Linux unless you actually know things about computers. Yeah, I've known several people who used it for this, that, the other non-illegal activities, but I've never had reason to use it. But they used it for like specialized things where they like specifically wanted a Linux computer for some specialized reason. Yeah, like doing a specific task that is better in Linux or something. It's not just something that some like Joe Schmo is going to be like, you know what? I was out shopping for computers the other day. I was trying to decide whether I wanted the Mac or I wanted the PC and I decided to go Linux instead. No, no one's going to do that unless they're like hella into computers. Yeah, I don't think you have linux unless you have a reason for having it and many of those are non-illegal non-immoral reasons 
But I don't think that's something you do without a reason. No. So on cross-examination, Travis Story for the defense asked Branham if he thought that Josh knew how to write code or how to use command codes. Branham said that he wouldn't be surprised if he could, but that Josh had never specifically told him that he could. And then we move on to the next witness for the prosecution. Okay, who was that? The next witness for the prosecution was Jim Holt. I think it's pretty clear that the prosecution decided to lead off with all the technical experts, two and a half days of testimony, and then they pulled out the stops on their last few witnesses by getting into people that knew Josh personally and then rested their case. So Jim Holt confirmed that he was present at that conversation between Josh Duggar and Clint Branham and that Josh did specifically ask how to set up a Linux partition. So this is one of those things for all of you biblical people out there. Um, There are two witnesses here that say that this happened. Yes, I was going to bring that up if you didn't. So I'm glad that you did. You know what? I think all this fundy stuff, you know, being friends with you and talking with you about all of this stuff for this long, it really has kind of rubbed off on me. So I know what to look for and I know what to listen for. I know. Sometimes I think sometimes I feel really proud of myself for teaching so well and you for learning so well. And then other times I feel really scared. Like, did I mess you up? So that was all for Jim Holt's testimony, because the other half of what we needed to hear from the Holt family is going to come from Bobby Holt the final witness. I'm sure that Bobby Holt and I still would not see eye to eye on most things about the world, but within the confines of this court case, I'm a pretty big fan of her. I think she was really brave. I think that there was likely pressure, whether internal or external, for her to not testify. I think it's a big deal to stand up to somebody who used to be your best friend and testify about their son. I think that she's done a really good thing. Before Bobby testified, the judge gave the jury some instructions. He told the jury that they were about to hear evidence about past child molestation. Basically, he reminded them that Josh is not on trial for that crime. He was never convicted of that crime, but that they may give Bobby Holt's testimony whatever weight they think is appropriate when considering whether he committed the crime that he is on trial for, the crime of downloading and possessing child sexual assault materials. He told the jury that they may decide how much weight to give Mrs. Holt's testimony dependent on how credible they find her and her testimony. So I think and I think that's fair. So this is what I was talking about last time when I was talking about the difference between character evidence and habit evidence, because Josh is not on trial for this other crime um, for molesting his sisters. He is on trial for the crime of downloading child sexual abuse materials. Right. It doesn't go to whether he's guilty of the original crime or not. It doesn't go to um, whether he's a bad person or not. It just goes to does that make him more or less likely to have committed the crime that he is on trial for? So Bobby gave the same testimony that we heard at the pretrial hearing on Monday the 30th, which was that Josh was betrothed to her oldest daughter when they were both 14, that Jim, Bob, and Michelle were close personal friends. They called her and her husband, Jim, over to the Duggar house on March 30th, 2003, when Josh was 15 years old, and that he confessed to them at that time that he had touched four of his sisters inappropriately when he was when he was ages 12 to 15 and that the youngest victim had been five years old at the time of him molesting her. Josh later at a later time told Mrs. Holt more details of his sexual assault of his sisters that uh, were more severe details and disturbed her even more than the original confession. 
I do want to point out that I had done some research into this previously because I was helping a friend work through some similar trauma. And what I found in that research is that clinically it's considered normal exploration between children for them to touch each other if they are within two years in age. And that may not be a comfortable thing for us to hear as adults. You are free to disagree with the clinical definition here. That is all right. I'm not putting my stamp of approval on it. Uh, But my point is that Josh was almost 10 years older than his youngest victim. And if Jim Bob had taken him to a child psychiatrist, they could have very quickly determined that this was well outside the range of normal curiosity, which is what Jim Bob has always claimed that it was. He absolutely should have known better because if he had had his kid get a basic psychological evaluation, any good psychologist could have known that this is not what we define clinically as normal. But of course, in fundamentalism, uh, psychology isn't real. Psychology is uh, fake and evil and from the devil. Right, which is why that never happened. But I I think that's really unfortunate because regardless of whether he has committed the crime for which he's currently on trial, there are many other accusations against him. I think that that problem maybe could have been fixed if he had been properly dealt with as a child. So Bobby got in a real good dig at Jim Bob in the last few minutes of her testimony. And this is extremely satisfying. She was asked by Carly Marshall of the prosecution whether she remembered the conversation that was had on March 30th, 2003. And she, Bobby said, quote, you don't forget something like that. So sick fundy burn on Jim Bob and his selective memory. Yeah, you've got to wonder whether or not that's going to affect his chances of being elected to Arkansas State Senate in like a week. I is that in the that that's like in a week? No, that primary is in like a week. I don't know. Oh gosh. Yeah. I I don't even know. So the court goes to break after Bobby's testimony. When they come back, the prosecution rests their case. During the break, Josh was repeated was reportedly seen talking to Joanna, who was his youngest victim, which once again fills me with rage. I'm really glad that Bobby got in that sick fundy burn because that made me feel better about the rage that I felt immediately after while reading trial coverage. Uh, prosecution has rested. It is time for the defense to begin presenting evidence. So who is the defense calling as their first witness? The first witness is Michelle Bush. She is a hired gun computer analyst, uh, expert witness who has served as an expert witness in multiple trials. You may remember that the defense submitted a motion to have the trial delayed so that they could have their own computer expert examine Josh's computer and electronic devices. This is that expert. Which is fair. And yeah, I think that was fair. But her analysis is the reason that they petition to have the trial put off a few months. So Bush says in, in in introducing herself that half of her cases as an expert witness, as a computer analyst, involve child sex assault materials, child sexual abuse materials, and says that she examined the HP desktop computer, five thumb drives and SD cards, the MacBook and Josh's iPhone. She confirms what the prosecution's computer analyst already said, that there was no evidence of child sexual abuse materials on the personal Mac devices, meaning the iPhone and the MacBook. She echoes the exact same thing that James Fittrell said a few days earlier, which was, if it was there, I would have found it. She also confirmed exactly what Fittrell said to begin with, which was that there was no child sex abuse material on the Windows side of the partitioned HP desktop computer. So then we get to the meat of Bush's testimony, which is regarding where the Linux program came from. 
In other words, where did the download come from when it was downloaded onto the HP desktop computer? Because you have to, if you open up a computer and it's a Windows computer, it's already running the Windows operating system. Or if you open up a Mac computer, it's already running the Mac operating system. Linux, you have to download the OS onto your computer. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, that's right. I've done this uh, before. I've set up a partition, not for Linux. I set up like 10 years ago, I had a Mac and I wanted to play games on it. So I was running a Windows uh, partition on it just for playing video games. Yeah, I tried to do that on my Mac. Uh, <laughs> I tried to do that to play Age of Empires on my Mac that I was issued by Hiles Anderson College, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, Bummer. But that's because that's because computers are not a ladylike hobby, according to the IFB. So I never got uh, all the extra training and how to use them that the boys did. I'm not bitter. But yeah, basically, you got to you download the operating system and then you put it onto like either a a a, a disk or you put it onto like a, a flash drive or something like that, and then you create the partition in your computer through like your system settings or whatever. And then you boot from the I, I I can't remember exactly how to do it. I that sound that sounds like we're going the right direction. Right. So Michelle Bush uh, wants to find out how Linux got downloaded onto the HP desktop computer because she feels strongly that it came from a thumb drive or a flash flash drive thumb drive same thing she also said that when she tried to sign up for linux the computer would not allow her to use the username dell underscore one which was the username on the linux side of the partition you may remember this from fratrell's testimony because he testified that that is a non-default username so someone set up the Linux partition and went so far as to give it a username and the Intel 1988 password, which was Josh Duggar's password for everything, including bank accounts, Instagram, etc. Bush said that the username Dell underscore one is not allowable to sign up for Linux or to run Linux because the only allowable characters were lowercase numbers or dashes. It didn't allow the underscore. So she's directly contradicting Fatrell's testimony because he said the username was absolutely not auto-generated. Now Bush says it must have been either auto-generated or come from the thumb drive that had Linux on it. She says huh. that since no Dell computer was seized in this case, that leads her to think that the Linux operating system was downloaded from a thumb drive that was originally associated with a Dell computer, which Josh does not have. So she's trying to imply that he was not the person who put the partition or Linux on his computer. No mention of how whoever put that on his computer knew his password. But that's what that's what she's implying. OK, this seems really just kind of in the reads and not really material. I don't know. It's, it's going to become material as we work through her testimony over these two days. But what it seems like the defense is claiming here is that whoever put this bootable device in the computer is the one who is responsible for the child sexual abuse material. But really, from what we know about how DHS found out about the child sexual abuse material in the first place, this doesn't make sense because they were able to detect it through peer-to-peer -peer transferring. 
If you don't mind, why don't I explain how this works really quick? Because uh, we talked about this a bunch. Yeah, this is just starting to get past the edge of my computer knowledge. So I would love it if you would take it from here and explain that. Sure. Um, And I'm not like a computer expert or anything. So I'll explain these things the best I can. And if I get something wrong, please correct me. Um, But say uh, you want to download a file or you want to watch a video or listen to like this podcast from the internet. That file is going to be hosted somewhere. Whatever website that is, is buying server space uh, where all of their files are being stored. And then if you want to access that file, your computer or your phone tells the website, let me see X file. And the website will show you X file to your computer or your phone, or it'll download it. So fairly straightforward. That's kind of how computers work. That's how the internet works. For things like child sexual abuse material, obviously it is not possible because you can't really be hosting these files because these files are illegal. So meaning that if you have a website that has these files on its servers and you are providing people access to these files, you are committing a crime, you will go to jail. People who want this sort of thing, they have to find out a way to get around this. And so they get around this through peer-to-peer file sharing, namely through using torrents. So anybody who um, has illegally downloaded music or movies knows all about torrenting. But for all of us uh, straight-laced normies out here, I'll explain how it works. So essentially, instead of having a file hosted on one person's website that makes it available to everybody, the file is located on the computers of the people who already have that file. So it's decentralized. So basically, you only download like one tiny file that's called a torrent file from somewhere, which is essentially like a blueprint for the content that you want. And then everybody else in the world who has that content on their computer and has the blueprint and has the peer-to-peer file sharing turned on automatically starts sending bits and pieces of the file over the internet to your computer where it's reassembled into like the single file, the final file. So think of it like, say you're baking a cake and you don't have any ingredients except you've got the recipe. And so you go to one neighbor who lends you an egg and one neighbor who lends you a few cups of flour and one neighbor who lends you sugar and one neighbor who lends you butter. um, And then eventually you've got a cake. That's how Josh Duggar was allegedly downloading child sexual abuse material. And this is how DHS was able to detect that Josh Duggar was allegedly downloading child sexual abuse material, because I assume that the detective, their computer has like an alert set up monitoring activity on that specific torrent file that Josh Duggar was allegedly downloading. So this is why the flash drive theory doesn't really make sense to me, because if it came from a flash drive, then the Department of Homeland Security would have really had no way to detect that that's what was on it. So if this alternate theory that the defense is really, really pushing for, like if that's their theory, it really just doesn't hold water if you know anything about like computers and how these files are shared. So number one, I love your baking analogy. That was really helpful to me. Number two, I don't think the defense is trying to say that Josh just innocently put a flash drive into his computer that happened to have child sexual abuse material on it. Because like you said, that claim doesn't hold water. If I put a mystery flash drive into my computer and I noticed that it had child sexual abuse material or anything that might kind of look like that on the flash drive, I would be calling the police in tears immediately and then probably burning my computer. Any any reasonable person would immediately call and say, hey, I just put this flash drive into my computer. It had something I didn't expect on it. Please take this and get these people. So I think what the defense is trying to go for instead is that someone downloaded Linux onto the HP desktop and whomever did that would have to be 
physically present at the car lot on May 13th, 2019, because you cannot create the partition and download Linux remotely. And then a few days later, that same person used remote access to that desktop to use a Tor browser on the Linux side of that computer to download and stream the child sexual assault or child sexual abuse material. So something interesting that the expert for the defense, uh, Michelle Bush, brought up was that port forwarding was enabled on this computer, which would enable remote access. So this is basically the the main thing that their whole claim hinges on, okay, is that uh, remote access was enabled. Now, this seems like a big point for the defense. But in my mind, I think it's even bigger of a point for the prosecution. So the defense is trying to say the possibility of remote access was turned on. So anybody would have been able to gain access to Josh Duggar's computer remotely. But in my mind, this means something completely different. And if you're interested, I would love to explain. I am interested. If I wanted to gain remote access to a computer, it would be very easy to do as long as I had the permissions. Um, like So basically, username, password to that computer, and I were connected to the same internet network, so the local area network. So say we we're on the same Wi-Fi. So if you and I are in the same house on the same Wi-Fi, and I wanted to access a file on your computer, I could do that through a process called SSH tunneling. And as long as I had the login information from your computer uh, and your computer was turned on, I could do that. But say I were in a different house from you and I wanted to access a file on your computer, I could have you email it to me. I could have it sent to me via Dropbox or Google Drive. But another option is if you enabled port forwarding on your router and I had your IP address and your login information, I could access any file on your computer through SSH tunneling the same way I could if we were connected to the same network. But here's the important thing. Port forwarding has to be turned on on the client side. So basically, if I wanted to do this, you would have to be the one to turn on the port forwarding. So somebody at the car dealership uh, turned on the port forwarding in order to enable remote access to somebody who would have the IP address and the login information. And I think that that person was Josh Duggar. Do you want to know why? Yes. Why is that? In our trial week one recap, I floated the theory that Josh Duggar intentionally used this computer, the one at his work, for child sexual abuse materials because he was only peripherally connected to it. And therefore, he would have had plausible deniability if it were ever discovered. So not only do I still believe this, but now I believe that he used this computer to basically store this material so that he could access it remotely through SSH tunneling. What he would do is this. He would lock up the dealership for the night, leave the computer powered on, leave it logged in to the Linux partition, and then he would turn off the computer monitor but not the computer itself, so that nobody would see what was showing up on the screen if they happened to be walking by, peeking through the window. He could go home and use SSH tunneling to remotely access anything on the Linux partition of his computer. And I think that the testimony that we heard earlier about, you know, Duggar being a power user or whatever also backs this up. Yeah, so if if the... Let me make sure I've got this right. So if port forwarding was on at the car dealership, he has the IP address. So he could access anything on either side of the partition, hypothetically, depending on which one he uh, left booted. Yeah, so he would also need the, the, lo- the login information right. and the, like the permissions. Right. Yeah. But if he left the Windows side booted and running, he could access anything on the Windows side. And if he left the Linux side booted, booted and running, he could access anything on the Linux side. 
Yes. Okay. I mean, it would be kind of a pain, but like he could do it. So I do want to point out that let's look at this from the defense's perspective for a second. That would mean that whoever, if if they're going to say that someone else used remote access to get into this computer and did the SSH tunneling, but it wasn't Josh Duggar, it was somebody else, that person would still have to have the IP address for the car dealership and also Josh's login information. Exactly. And also say it's um, a static, I say it's a dynamic IP address, not a static one. And a dynamic IP address means that it changes. Um, then, you know, say the IP address changes and you don't have it. And now you want to access these files or shit out of luck. So I was, I was just going to say that you trust me. You know, we're we're business yeah, I trust we're you. business partners. I I have your um your HBO Max login information, but I don't have the yeah. password that you use for your HBO Max and also your bank account. No. And because those are because those are yeah. different passwords because you're not <laughs> looking to get hacked. And also right. I have no clue what your IP address is. I would have no reason to ever know that. If they are saying that somebody else used remote access to get into the HP computer from the car lot, that would have to be somebody who was fairly trusted. I feel like there have to be relatively few people they could pin this on. Well, we're going to get to that later. Okay. Um, but uh, further, I think that this theory from the defense of remote access was brought up specifically because Josh Duggar knows that port forwarding was turned on on the router. So he, it, and he knows this because he's the one that turned it on. So he could go to his lawyer and say, I think it was possible that remote that there was remote access to the computer and his lawyer can go and hire an expert and say, Hey, do you want to check on this router and see if the remote access uh, port forwarding was turned on? And she can look at the router and say, Hey, look, port forwarding was turned on. Somebody could have accessed this remotely. I do want to bring up that Josh Duggar said to the Homeland security agents uh, who were recording him in their truck at the time of the raid, he said to them that his router and internet system was secure. If he did have port forwarding on, which is your theory, then he was lying to those agents. Well, if he was telling the truth to those agents, then remote access is a lot less likely. Or it could be, well, my network is secure, but I'm the only one that knows the permissions to get onto it. Like that's true. I, I that could know. still line, like, that could still end up with your theory. You're right. Secure is um is relative, but I just want to say, like, so if you know what you're doing with computers, this is not difficult stuff to do. Okay, so if you ask your IT person at work about this, they could probably enable this in a matter of minutes. If you want proof of how easy it is, like I did this on my home computer when I was in 10th grade because I didn't have an iPhone. I had an iPod touch that I had jailbroken and I would use SSH tunneling from my computer to get onto the phone and move files around and stuff because it was jailbroken and I could do that. And I thought I was elite hacksaw, but I was like probably, you know, 15 or 16 doing this. Josh Duggar, he knows how to do this. He's 33. And if you can't remember how, there'll be a YouTube video showing you how. I, I do think that this is a solid theory because it, here's a factor that makes me want to believe that a little bit more. Fatrell testified to a list of dates that non-psychopath adult materials, non-illegal adult materials, were downloaded and viewed on the MacBook and the iPhone. 
through the Tor browser on each one of those devices. The timestamp that we were given for one of those incidents was October 16th, 2019 at 2.15 a.m., which would make me think that on that day at that time, Josh Duggar was doing a pretty not illegal adult thing for people who aren't in a cult, which would be, I can't sleep, my partner's asleep, I'm gonna, you know, try something to put myself to sleep. For people who aren't in a cult, that might or might not be within boundaries for their relationship with their partner, and that would be up to the individuals in that relationship. But that does show that he was accessing non-illegal sexual materials at home, likely, I assume he was at home at 2.15 a.m., which does lend credence to the theory that you're putting out. What, that he, you know, that he was... That he had port forwarding turned on and that he was using... Uh, his other electronic devices to remote access into the HP himself. Yeah, because and that's what he wanted it for, and that's the time when he wanted to access it. That that's plausible. So, uh, Justin Gelflin for the prosecution still doing initial examination, initial testimony from Michelle Bush. He asked her some questions about the router. The prosecution and defense are saying very different things about the router. I am so sick of hearing about this router. If I never hear about this router again, I will be so happy. Uh, Bush says that she thinks that command codes were used to download Tor and other apps like uTorrent, differing from from Fatrell's opinion that they were downloaded from an app store. She said that she didn't find evidence that Duggar had Googled those command codes, which I don't think matters because she didn't say that she could prove that they were downloaded via command codes and not from an app store like the Snap Store on Linux, just that it was her opinion that they were downloaded using command codes, not from the Snap Store. But she didn't give any evidence to to back that up. She did not give any evidence. She just said that, that, that this was her opinion based on everything that she saw. Nothing specific. So even if she's right and they weren't downloaded from the Snap Store and whoever downloaded them did so using command codes, by the time in history that we're talking about someone partitioning this computer and downloading Tor, Josh Duggar had been heavily into computers for 10 years. I've been playing the, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the video game, the the PC game, Age of Empires, Conqueror's Expansion, for over 10 years. And I learned cheat codes for that game over 10 years ago. And I remember them. So... Like Aegis? Yeah, Aegis. uh, Lumberjack is a good one. You, how do you turn this on? How do you turn this on? Uh, that's the one that gets you the little uh, explodey people, right? No, that's the one that gets you the uh, Shelby Cobra that has machine guns on it. Oh, I don't like that one. It makes the game too easy. I, I would think that if Josh Duggar had been a power user of computers for over 10 years, just the fact that, that Tor and uTorrent were downloaded using command codes and not using the Snap Store doesn't prove that it wasn't him who downloaded it because there's no reason to think that he wouldn't know at least some command codes but that's just that's just my opinion of that and chances are if you're using linux you're using it because you want a unix based system and so you can use the command line like you could on apple right Um, and and yeah the conversation where he asked clint branham how to download linux took place in 2010 that would that would give by the time of the, by the time the partition was downloaded nine years of experience with Linux, and you're telling me he doesn't know a single command code. 
Uh, Let's finish up her testimony on Monday the 6th. Um, Michelle Bush said that she... And then we can take up the offer. Yeah, we need to. She said that she could not rule out remote access, but there are apps on Linux that could allow for remote access. But she didn't find evidence of those apps on the HP computer. She also said that remote access can be done with command codes. Then her, like I was saying, with SSH tunnel, yeah, that's what that is. And, and then her testimony gets a bit weird because she says that yes, child sexual abuse materials were downloaded on May 14th between 5:05 and 5:40 p.m., matching Fatral's timeline, but that no one had to be behind the computer when that happened because it was streamed over a network. Uh, she said that some of the thumbnails of child sexual abuse material on the computer had never been viewed. And about one specific file, she said that it was streamed around 11.30 a.m. on May 16th, 2019, and that at 11.33 a.m., it was deleted by putting it in the computer's trash bin. She cannot know how long it was viewed, but she can tell that it was deleted 29 seconds after the end of however long it was viewed. I know this seems hyper-specific and not important. It's going to come back. Okay. So here's the thing. I think that anybody who was downloading horrible, disgusting, illegal material would watch the thing they downloaded and then delete it. I don't think this piece of evidence does Josh Duggar any favors. That's just what literally anybody who committed this crime would do. I mean, it's just like if you shot somebody, what are you going to do? Are you going to hold on to the gun? Are you going to throw it over and over, like throw it into the river? You're going to wipe it with a handkerchief and throw it in the river. Yeah, it, it doesn't. I don't see how that evidence helps him at all. She also testified that some of the files were successfully downloaded, but there were failed attempts at downloading some of the files and that some were only pieces of files, like partial files got through. Again, I don't see... That's like what I was saying. That's exactly what you were saying. That's like what I was saying with the torrenting, that he had a torrent for it and that like either the torrent failed or the computer... You know what probably happened was he was downloading it onto the computer and then he had to be like, oh, uh, I got to use the computer for real stuff now. Switch over to the Windows side and use it for car dealer stuff. That's... And then it got interrupted. That makes sense. Again, I don't think that does him any favors because that doesn't do anything about the fact that someone made dozens of attempts to download child sex abuse materials onto that computer. So the gist of her testimony, it all boils down to there was uh, we, there was no child sex abuse materials on the MacBook or the iPhone, which we already knew. The prosecution should have seized the router, which is debatable. And she thinks remote access is a possibility in this case, which is debatable. Several Redditors have chimed in on this, saying that they are computer experts and that Bush's testimony has basically been word salad intended to confuse the jury and muddy the waters. My gut feeling is definitely to agree even without uh, complete confirmation that those people are who they say they are. Of course, I'm biased and I'm not a member of the jury on this case, so I can't say for sure. But I do have some more news for you about Michelle Bush when we come back on Tuesday morning, December 7th. Okay, do you want to take up the offering and then we'll do that? Let's do it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back. We have gotten everything through uh, Monday, December 6th. Now we are on to Tuesday, December 7th. Sadie, do you want to talk to us about Michelle Bush's testimony on the 7th? I do. But before we get into that, so it's actually cross-examination from the prosecution. But before we get into that, we got to do the Duggar roll call for the day because this day had some developments. Anna and Derek and Austin have become the regulars. Joanna was not present on Tuesday. Tuesday also saw Jason Duggar, who was there on Monday with the addition of Jana Duggar, the oldest Duggar girl uh, and a mystery woman who is probably her friend, Jana's friend, Laura. New additions also included David Keller, who is Anna Duggar's brother, and his brand new wife, Hannah Reber, who is the daughter of Josh's court-appointed babysitters. I kind of feel bad for these two. They were just married in November, and they're already attending their first trial together. But also, I don't feel bad for them because they're choosing to be there. I feel bad for Hannah Reber because I feel like her parents have put her in an untenable position. How old is she? Oh, young. I I don't even know. These people get married super young. I don't know Hannah Reber's exact age. Um, But she's a legal adult. Yes. But I was going to say, so then she's safe from Josh, but then I remember Danica Dillon. Yeah, so Hannah, I feel like she's been put in a terrible position because her dad basically voluntold the family to that they were going to be Josh's court-appointed babysitters uh, between uh, until the trial happened. And Maria Reber, Hannah's mother, was clearly not into it, was pretty upset, um, but got pushed into it by her husband. It, at least that's what it certainly looks like from the outside. Hannah Reber was teaching piano lessons to children out of their home and had to move her business a few months before her wedding to accommodate Josh Duggar. And now she's married to Josh Duggar's brother-in-law. I feel like she's been put in the worst position of all of this because she's now stuck being related to this person. No matter how the trial shakes out, it's just going to be a mess for her. The other big attendance bombshell, though, from Tuesday is that Jim Bob Duggar himself showed up. 
Really? Even, yeah. Even weirder is that he sat with Austin Forsyth. Joy, Anna, and Austin have been seen looking extremely upset leaving court each day, and we can only imagine that this is extremely difficult for both of them, especially Joanna having past childhood trauma dragged out again. Uh, I really do feel for her. The unconfirmed report from The Sun is that Jim Bob Duggar uh, originally sat down next to Austin, Joanna's husband, in the front row or in the family section of the gallery, and then when there was a break... Austin got up and walked to the back and sat someplace else, Ooh. seemingly maybe to get away from Jim Bob. I don't know. I could be reading too much into this, but but we all need a little bit of tea to get us through this horrible thing. Yeah. Okay. So what happened on Tuesday? What was Michelle's testimony? I want to note that C.C. McCandless, the reporter for KNWA, said, this is a quote from his article. Cracks in the honesty of her testimony the day before became evident almost immediately. And I feel like, yeah, that's a big deal to have on a news website. Because I feel that CeCe McCandless has been a pretty great example of journalistic integrity. I feel like it would be very wrong for someone who is covering this case as a journalist to say something like that that's purely based on opinion without making clear that it is solely their opinion. So that makes me think that it was very evident as a matter of fact in the courtroom that her Monday testimony was not completely transparent. What specifically about it didn't hold up to scrutiny? So here's what she was asked uh, and gave some wishy-washy answers to. Bush said that she has 10 years of experience as a forensic examiner. So when William Clayman for the prosecution got up to cross-examine on Tuesday morning, he got Bush to reveal on the stand that she actually only graduated college in 2015, six years ago. So in Wait, the so she's my age. So in the 10 years of experience that she claims, she includes her four years of undergrad undergrad while she was taking her degree in psychology from the University of, University of Arizona. Wait, she has a degree in psychology, not like computer science. Right. And she does have. Uh, psychology with a minor in law enforcement. I checked her website. She does have a long list of credentials and qualifications. And her first credential is from 2013 when she got her in-case certified examiner credential. So it's not to say that she wasn't doing computer analysis when she was 18, 19, going through her first four years of college, because she certainly could have already been training. She got her first credential in 2013, uh, which is still eight years ago, not 10 years ago. But to say the way that she phrased it sounds like she has been doing it for 10 years, which is not correct. She said, yeah. So she also said that she had worked on many cases. About half of her cases were child sex abuse material related. Clayman asked her how many of the cases she had worked on were federal cases. And she hemmed and hawed a little bit, said she didn't know. And he got her to admit that this might be her first federal case because she didn't know whether her cases had been federal or not. He also was able to get her to admit that she has never taken a Linux-specific course or any special training on the torrential downpour software that the government uses to catch peer-to-peer sharing of child sexual abuse materials. Wow. Yeah, and and she says that she is well-trained in how to do her computer forensic analysis on computers that are running Linux, which may very well be true, uh, I think. To the, what the jury is going to hear is that she has never taken a class on it. 
I mean, a lot of things in the tech world, um, at least in the programming world, a lot of it isn't necessarily, oh, do you have a degree in this? It's can you do it? So that's right. sort of how it like, even if you haven't taken a class on it, you could still be qualified to do it. Um, just throwing that out there. Right. So the fact she hasn't taken a Linux specific course doesn't really say much about whether she's qualified to examine computers that are running Linux or not. But I do think the jury is going to hear she might not be qualified. Here's a sneaky answer for you in case you felt bad about Clayman getting to her to admit so much stuff on the stand. Clayman asks if she had omitted any relevant information from her report, and she answered, quote, I wouldn't have known it was relevant at the time. Wait, what? Clayman asks, what? Clayman asks, did you omit any relevant information from your report? And Bush answers, direct quote, I wouldn't have known it was relevant at the time. I am. What? No, the answer to that is no. You say no. I wouldn't have known it was relevant at the time. That is the most backhanded, That's... sneaky answer. That that is that a is that a yes or is that a no? Is that it like kind of sounds like a yes to me? It sounds like you're covering your own ass. Yeah, That's well, what it sounds like to yeah. me. Like, um, so whoa. Well, so here's a, another yeah. chink in her armor. Uh, yesterday, she testified, as I told you, about a particular video that was. Uh, viewed for an unspecified amount of time and then deleted 29 seconds after it was viewed, Michelle Bush didn't watch the video. So she doesn't know what was in it at all. Clayman did watch the video and he found out that in the first 29 seconds of that video, there was no child sexual abuse depicted. So maybe really? someone was looking Whoever whoever downloaded and watched that video was looking for that specific content, did not find it in the first 29 seconds of the video, and deleted it. Possibly. Interesting. Yeah, and Bush just didn't bother to watch the video. That is that seems like that is a a huge oversight. Yeah, like like she's testifying about this specific video and she has no idea what's in it. Wow, that's uh, yikes! That's egregious. How like they? Yeah, she she did not make herself look particularly good. Um, I thought the Duggars were supposed to have money to be able to hire you know the best lawyer and the best experts. What are they doing here? Well, maybe 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 there's just not much she can say without directly incriminating Josh Duggar. Maybe possibly. You know what this is like to me? This is like, say you like are making a souffle and then, you know, just like a a very like fancy souffle. And then you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to cover the whole thing in like Hershey's chocolate sauce. Uh, I mean, that's not that's not terribly inaccurate. I read her testimony as much as I was reported on that I could read because I'm not paying for court transcripts yet. I'm going to see if I can get them for free first. But I I read the reporting on her testimony on Monday, and I thought she doesn't sound like she's doing doing a very good job as an expert witness. But I didn't want to come to that conclusion on my own because I'm not there, and I can't predict how she's affecting the jury, which is what really matters here. But then I saw reported in actual news articles that she did a very bad job. So I feel more comfortable in my original assessment. 
Like if actual journalists are saying that she just completely melted and shat the bed under cross-examination, that's probably true. Uh, yeah, that's probably not a good sign for the defense. I mean, they've got to be, you know, they've got to try to be a bit objective Impartial. here. And they're going to be like, look, it did not go well. So let's just continue on with the cross-examination because it, it does not get better. Clayman asked Bush about some websites that were bookmarked on the Tor browser including one site that is known for having, it's like a directory to other sites on the dark web. And they're, part of that is a directory to sites that have child sex abuse material. So it is, it is something that you would know the name of if you were an active person on the dark web. Oh, that's where you go to find the address of what you're looking for. She confirmed that that site was bookmarked on the HP. He asked about one specific zip file of child sexual abuse material that was found on the HP, and Bush said that she didn't know what it was. Uh, Clayman seemed to be making the point that anyone who is actually an expert in this type of cases would be well aware of that particular file because it's one of the ones with it's it's one of the ones with the biggest names. It's one of the ones that gets passed around a lot, and people know it by name. It's famous. Yeah, I don't like to use the word. I don't want to use famous and I don't want to use popular because that's just that just breaks my heart. But that's yeah. correct. It's notorious. It's infamous. No, yeah, notorious maybe would be better. So then we get back to the whole remote access port forwarding thing. Clayman was able to get Bush to say on the stand that she did not find any evidence of the computer being accessed remotely. She did qualify this by saying that she couldn't prove that it wasn't accessed remotely oh. and that the router would have given her more information. Oh of course, God. the prosecution's next question was, well, why didn't she go get the router then and check? And she said, directly quoting again, I'm not going out to try to find additional evidence. So she could have probably just asked the defense team if she could have the router because the feds didn't didn't seize it, but she uh, just didn't. Wait. So she's saying. So my whole my whole theory about oh she says port forwarding was turned on she so I I just misread that that she's like well it, it, I didn't say that it wasn't turned on what are you doing here? Yeah. What? So she could have just gone and found the router and told us whether it was turned on. Right. Okay. So this wasn't even like. Man, all that stuff I said earlier, uh, never mind. If I if you're a computer person and I totally made an ass of myself and showed that I know absolutely nothing about computers, I rest easy knowing that I did so for no reason. Was this is this is what makes me go back and feel more solid in saying that she was just there to try to confuse the jury and muddy the waters. That's exactly what it seems like she was trying to do. Cause like if she went and found the router and found out that port forwarding wasn't turned on, then they are dead in the fucking water. Yeah, then she'd either have to perjure herself or tell the truth and blow her whole theory. So um, there was the next bit was a thing that really went over my head. It was about copy stream URLs. What I got out of it is that it's a different type of URL that cannot just be copied and pasted. All the computer experts that have testified seem to be in agreement that this is a pretty advanced thing to know how to do. Uh, the interesting bit here relating to Michelle Bush is that Clayman reportedly asked her if she was familiar with copy stream URLs, and she said yes. And then he asked her a 
simple, specific question about it, and she couldn't answer. So she was apparently not actually that familiar with it. Wow. But Holy that's that's crap. all that I got out of that because I don't actually know what copy stream URLs are other than that brief definition. I don't know what they are either. Somebody who knows more about computers than me, please tell us on uh, the internet. Or tell Gabrielle because at this point, my brain is just numb from all the new computer knowledge that I've gotten. And I don't think I'm going to care about computers for like two months after this. You know what they might be trying to do here? This is a this would be like a long shot. They might be trying to get a mistrial on the fact that they hired literally the most incompetent computer expert to defend them. That has been floated in the snarker world that maybe they are trying to get a mistrial on incompetent counsel. Um, maybe they're trying to get a mistrial on having a bad expert. Um or that they're just trying to set themselves up for the eventual appeal, which I think is maybe more likely. I I think that just just my gut feeling, I think I think they're going to try to go for an appeal. But take that about as serious as seriously as me trying to predict who's going to win the Super Bowl. I don't actually know anything. Um, that's just the the sense that I get from having read about this incessantly for a week and a half straight now. This is nuts. This so, trial is nuts. So we have what like a, happening here. We have a couple more questions for Michelle Bush, and then we're finally going to be able to wrap it up with her and hopefully mm. never say her name again. So back to the thing about let's say that someone innocent was sitting behind the HP desktop computer and someone else, a guilty person, did remote access and was using the computer. Would the innocent person sitting at the computer see what was going on? Would they be able to see on their screen what the person with remote access was doing with their computer? Bush said, yes, but if there was sound playing from a video, then the person sitting behind the physical computer might not hear the sound. Well, if the sound was turned off on the computer, if the volume was down. That's exactly what I think she was saying. But I don't, again, I don't think this helps the defense's case at all because she had to confirm on the stand that if anyone was sitting behind the computer, they would have, and someone else was remote accessing that computer, they would have seen on the screen what was going on. There was some back and forth on cross examination and then redirect about whether the underscore error in attempting to boot Linux was an issue with Linux not allowing the underscore in the username or an issue with the mirroring software that Bush was using to examine the computer. We're going to get back to that in a couple minutes, so I'm not going to go into that. So Michelle Bush finally is done uh, a lot of just back and forth about the details of this. I tried to get it as consolidated as I could. It seems like she was really there to muddy the waters a bit, but I am not sure that it worked at all. It seems like that that sounds like a train wreck. I think it depends on who's on the jury. I'm I'm emotionally prepared for jury deliberation to go long. I know the general thought, just just in general, short deliberations are more likely to be guilty verdicts. The longer it goes, it gets more likely that it might be a hung jury or a not guilty verdict. I am emotionally prepared for this one to go on the long side and still potentially be guilty. I'm emotionally prepared for them to go out, deliberate for five minutes and come back guilty. I am trying to also emotionally prepare for other options just so I'm not caught off guard. Yeah. I don't know how well I'm doing with that, but I'm, I'm working on it. The only other defense witness, I am so confused about where they were going with this guy. The defense 
must think that this guy, something he said is some kind of ace in the hole. I'm convinced they're going to bring up something he said in closing arguments as some kind of big surprise thing, because I have no idea what his testimony had to do with anything. The witness is Daniel Wilcox. He is no longer with Homeland Security, but he was in 2019. He's the guy who they sent as an undercover agent to try to get like the computer information, right? Right. He couldn't get anything. Right. He didn't do anything. Yes. So he testified to being at the car lot on either October 31st, 2019 or November 1st, 2019 in an undercover capacity. He was pretending to be interested in purchasing a car. He went on one day to try to, because the whole purpose of him being there was to confirm that Josh Duggar was present at the location and to see what electronic devices he could scope out that would need to be seized. So the first time he went, Josh Duggar was not there. There was only Randall Berry, another employee there. So he made up an excuse and left. He came back on a different day or on a different time. Josh Duggar was there. He met with both Duggar and Barry. There were no other customers at the lot at the time he was there. Okay. And so like, so? So he saw Josh using a computer and an iPhone. And that was the extent of his involvement in this case. Okay. Prosecution cross-examined. Asked him about his function in the investigation. He was there to verify that Josh Duggar was present at the car lot and to just visually scope out what type of electronic devices were there. That's it. That's the cross-examination. That's it. That's it. And then the defense rested their case, which gave me a heart attack when I saw it on the, the internet today. I just... I thought with such a huge witness list, there would be more witnesses. I also, I do understand, though, that the defense doesn't have the burden burden of proof. They do not have to prove that Josh didn't do it. They just have to raise reasonable doubt. You know what I think? What? I think they called Wilcox because they wanted to have more than one witness. Because if they only call that one witness, that like that's a fucking disaster. I think that's possible. Because I- you know who they didn't call? As a witness. Josh Duggar. Exactly. He did not testify in his own defense at his own trial. I think they know that he's just not credible with the jury at this point, especially after the mess that Jim Bob made last Monday. Well, that and the fact that if he gets up to testify, he will melt under cross-examination. So is it unusual for the defendant not to testify in their own defense? Because I was under the impression that people often don't testify at their own trial because of the Fifth Amendment. I don't know. Like sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, it, I mean, it really depends. I just, I think there would have been such an easy out if he did testify because he could have made up some kind of narrative about how proposing an alternate theory of how this got onto his computer. I don't, I don't understand why he didn't testify. Because if they put Josh Duggar up on the witness stand, what are they going to do? They're going to ask him. Like the prosecution is going to get him on cross-examination. They're going to ask him, where were you on this date at this time when the child sexual abuse material was being downloaded? And he's either going to say, I was at the dealership or he's going to say, I don't know. Neither of those are great answers. They're going to ask him, do you know how to set up a Linux partition? And if he did, he's either going to have to lie and say he doesn't, that he didn't, or, you know, he's going to have to say, yes, I know how to set up a Linux partition because we've already heard Branham say in his sworn statement that Josh Duggar knew how to do it because he told him how to do it to get around covenant eyes. And then they're going to ask him, were you using your phone to text your wife that you would be home late? 
And he's going to have to answer that. He's going to have to say, yes, I was texting my wife to tell her that I was going to be home late. Or he's going to have to say, no, somebody else was using my phone. And then they're going to have to say, oh, well, who was using your phone? And then who's he going to say was using his phone? He's going to have to pull somebody out to say, this guy was using my phone. He said he would vouch for me, you know, and then he's not going to have an alibi. So they're going to be able to place him at the scene of the crime at the time that the crime was being committed. And then he's going to have to get up there after admitting to molesting his sisters and say, I have no sexual interest in children and I did not download the child sex abuse material. And they're going to see the lie in his eyes. Think about how his lawyer stood up to shield him from the jury to keep the jury from looking at him when they showed the images on the screens. The defense wants the jury to think as little about Josh as a person as possible because they know that he's unlikable and they know that he's a creep and they know that he just like looks guilty. No, I think I think that's I think that must be absolutely right. So do you remember that interview where it's Torre interviewing R. Kelly and he asks him, do you like teenage girls? And R. Kelly says, when you say teenage, how old are we talking? Yes. Unfortunately, I do remember. I think they're trying to avoid another one of those situations. R. Kelly, by the way, is another person who did not testify in his own defense. I guess my confusion comes from the fact that I just don't put it past Josh to perjure himself. I cannot tell you whether he's guilty of the crime that he is on trial for. And of course, I cannot tell you whether he would lie on a witness stand or not, because I was not there for the alleged crime, and I am not in his head, thank God. But I am pretty strong in my opinions that he did commit the crime, and I am pretty strong in my opinion that he would not think twice about perjury. I think that whether or not he perjured himself, he would get up on the witness stand and the cross examiner could probably get him to say something that he did not intend to say or did not want to say. Like if he got up there, say he got up there and took the Fifth Amendment, they'd convict him for sure. He'd have to get up there and say it wasn't me. That's true. And then what's his what's his alternate theory? Yeah, that's true. Taking the fifth when you're suspected of a serious crime makes you look really guilty. (coughs) Dave Hiles. Yeah, Dave Hiles got off, though. But you want to know why Dave Hiles got off is because he was smart enough to destroy the evidence. Allegedly. 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 So uh, that's that's it for the defense. The defense rests um, after Wilcox. The prosecution, they went to a sidebar in the judge's chambers about whether the prosecution could call a rebuttal witness or that's potentially what the sidebar was about. We don't know. Uh, The prosecution was able to call a rebuttal witness. They got Fatral back on the stand. He was able to demonstrate for the court uh, live, as I understand, like on a computer, that he had no problem installing Ubuntu with the Dell underscore one username. And Ubuntu is the Linux uh, operating system, is the Linux build that uh, Josh Duggar was using. Right. I understand them to be not the same thing, but pretty much the same thing. Um, Ubuntu is a version of Linux. A version of Linux, right. Uh, But it's so, so Fatral showed them, I'm going to do it now and installed it with the Dell underscore one username. And it did not reject the username because of the underscore. He also demonstrated that he was able to download tor utorrent and the vlc media player which is what whoever viewed the child sexual abuse materials on the hp computer used to view them he uh, for demonstrated that he was able to download all three of those apps from the snap store without using command lines 
on redirect, Justin Gelflin for the de- for the defense said that while that may be possible now, it may not have been possible in May 2019 because uTorrent has done software updates since May of 2019, which I think is obviously complete bullshit, but I don't know what a jury will think because we don't know what kind of people we're working with on the spectrum from I can open a Word document and type with two fingers to I've partitioned my own computer to pirate movies. Oh, this is 100% bullshit. I've personally done all of these things on computers because when I would volunteer at Free Geek back in 2009, they would use Ubuntu on some of their computers. Is he really arguing that uTorrent and VLC and Tor won't work on Ubuntu? That is 100% bullshit. Well, he's saying that, well, yeah, you can download it from the Snap Store now in December of 2021. But how do you know that they were available on the Snap Store in May 2019? Ubuntu VLC and uTorrent are all open source. This like this is just nonsense. I don't like I mean you could look that up. It would be very easy to find out that information. Right. It's simply because I spent several years working with outdated Apple devices. I in my experience software updates don't typically change whether you can or cannot download something from an App Store. So I'm personally calling bullshit on the software update part. Yeah. There was one more back and forth about remote access and the freaking router that I am so sick of hearing oh about. God. Fuck this router. I, I feel like tomorrow, if my husband says there's a problem with our router, I might just reflexively explode. You're going to get triggered by selecting <laughs> Wi-Fi networks is what's going to happen. You're going to like... Just smoke coming out of my ears. I am so tired of hearing about this router. Uh, And then prosecution and defense both rested rebuttals. That's it. We will see closing arguments on Wednesday morning, December 8th at 9 a.m. Arkansas time, which is Central Standard Time. If you don't mind me saying, um, the defense of Josh Duggar sounds like an unmitigated disaster. So that's what I thought reading about it. But then I thought, well, I'm really biased. Maybe... I'm wrong. So then I went and read what a lot of experts said about it, and they all said the same thing. They called two witnesses. One of them didn't really say anything. And the other one, I think, actually weakened their case somehow. You know, they called an expert witness whose job it was to, you know, to to cast doubt on this. And the expert witness did not cast doubt on anything but her own qualifications. Her own qualifications and abilities. Yeah. The, the only thing I am really concerned about, and I I am not experienced enough to know if this is just something that happens in movies or if this could potentially happen in real life. I am worried that something Wilcox said on the stand, he was up there for such a short amount of time and they they asked him so few questions. I feel like something they asked him was specifically worded so that the defense can bring it up in closing arguments and do a mic drop moment. I, I'm just I'm worried that they trapped him with words somehow to say the specific soundbite that they need to be able to quote in closing arguments to make some to make something out of nothing for this case. No, you know what it was. Am I just think am I just like playing 3D chess when I don't need to be? I think you're playing 3D chess when they don't need you know what it was. They Bush's testimony, Bush's cross-examination was an unmitigated disaster. I've said that before. Bush's cross-examination was such a clusterfuck that they're just like, we cannot end on that. Okay, we need to just call, call... Whoever was in the building. They, you know what they did? They called, because they're not going to call like 
Caleb Williams, or they're not going to call one of these people that it's been like theorized that there's like an alternate theory about the case being like, oh, this guy did it. Oh, this guy did it. They called somebody who would say nothing and also not hurt them. That's what they did. They needed a palate cleanser after the utter shit show that was uh, Michelle Bush's testimony. They just wanted like a buffer. Maybe they suspected that the prosecution would call a rebuttal witness and get Fatral back on the stand to discredit everything she just said even further. So they just wanted a buffer between uh, Bush and Fatral. Yeah, like that's that's honestly what I think is is going on here is that because if you get Bush on the stand and she's just like melting, she's just falling apart because, you know, and she's saying, well, it wasn't relevant. I didn't know it was relevant at the time, like whatever it was when they asked her if she uh, left anything relevant out of her testimony, whatever, like utter nonsense and like thing that she said, if you go from that to Fatrell, who Last week, if we'll remember, gave marathon testimony and just like was poised, was on it, knew exactly what he was and wasn't like knew exactly what to say and knew exactly the answers to anybody's questions and just seemed like he was so in control. And then you go from Bush to him. It's just going to not it's not going to be pretty. So they needed something in between. That that sounds much more. Uh, optimistic. I don't know. I would say that I'm optimistic, but not confident. But what I want, what I want most of all is for the jury to be 100% secure in their decision. Of course, I think that he's guilty. Uh, it's, It's the timeline of the text messages that he sent, knowing that he was at the car lot, knowing that the child sexual abuse materials were being downloaded to the computer while he was at the car lot and making excuses for why he wasn't home yet. That timeline is what sells it for me. But but more than anything, I, I want the jury to be 100% convinced in whatever they decide. Of course, I hope that they decide what I think is just and right. But I will definitely be saying a prayer for them before I go to bed tonight that they will be clear and that they will be confident in their choice so i think now it's time that we wrap this section of the episode up and then we move on um to something i don't know do you want to talk about anna this is sort of something that i was thinking about with because we talked about like last time we talked about how she really she saw one of the images that that josh was allegedly looking at and she was completely unfazed by this um, and there was a theory posited by various people on the internet. I don't know if we want to talk about this, about Anna's reaction or lack thereof to seeing the material that Josh was consuming regarding the violent nature of the child sexual abuse material. I think it's possible that Josh has an interest in especially violent sex and that because she is married to him, she has become desensitized to it. So I just have a couple points about this theory because I've seen it floating around. Somebody posted it in our Facebook group as well. I don't know. I feel weird about even talking about it just because. So, well, you don't want to speculate like you don't want to get too deep into trying to dig into Anna's brain because she is not the person on trial here. And I don't want to dig into married people's bedrooms. That's not my business. So let me just tell you what we do know. 
that could potentially shed light on this without trying to say, oh, she definitely thinks this or she definitely thinks that, because I feel weird about that too. So we know that Anna knew some of the information about Josh's sexual assault of his sisters and another unnamed victim, Jane Doe 5, when he was a teenager. Anna knew about that before they were married by her own testimony on national television. If Danica Dillon's accusations, which never went to court, are true. Oh, I believe that shit, uh, I absolutely believe her, but we can't say they're absolutely true because that, that was never tried in court or anything. But if that's true, then Josh does definitely have a prevent- propensity for violent sex. If he did indeed download the materials that he is on trial for downloading, then that doubles the evidence that he has a propensity for violence. And if one or both of those things were the case, then it it does seem likely that Anna would have been subjected to or exposed to some amount of violence from Josh. And if all of that were true, then it would be plausible that seeing these images might just not be a big surprise to her. I think that I think this is a valid theory. There's just no way that we could know unless Anna were ever to speak out. And what are the chances of that happening? Y- like you know, zero. When Negative I when we started talking about this, I was so hopeful for this being the thing that finally breaks her free. You know, she could she had an opportunity when he got arrested or not arrested. Um, she had an opportunity when the raid happened. She had another opportunity when he got arrested. Uh, when he was in jail for a week waiting for the bail hearing. She had another opportunity when they had pre-trial hearings and she, you know, realized that this was definitely going to go to trial. She had another opportunity not to go to court with him. She will have one more opportunity uh, if and when he is convicted and she will have one last opportunity uh, if and when he is sentenced. I, I think she's passed up an awful lot of opportunities. So every every time that she would have a place to potentially exit and she doesn't take it, I get less and less hopeful. So I, I'm I'm really I'm really losing hope, unfortunately. Think about this. Think about it from her perspective, is that if Josh gets locked away, then he's gone. Then he's not for... damaging her or her family. Yeah, and she's just like and but she still gets that money from Jim Bob. Right. I so. I want to challenge people to be willing to see Anna both as a victim and as someone who is failing to protect her children and has failed to protect her children from potentially a violent predator, allegedly, possibly. I think that I have started to see people kind of polarize around She's got to be one of those things or the other. And I just, I don't agree with that. I think that there, I think that the most likely thing is that she is a victim of her circumstances, a victim of the IBLP's teachings, uh, a victim of educational abuse, and she has failed to take the exits that she should have taken. Uh, I'm just, I'm not going to come down on one side or the other with this. I think that, I think that she can be both. Yeah. So here's another question. Do you think the prosecution has done a good enough job of proving their case or do you still have questions about what happened here? I can't think of a specific question that I would have as a member of the jury. I think if anything messes up this case, it's going to be that Homeland Security didn't seize the router. Uh, uh, I Now, I understand router. from reading all this testimony that they didn't seize it because they didn't think that they needed it because they thought they had a strong enough case without it. And they didn't think that having it would make any difference in their findings. 
I think the jury members may see the same thing that I see. They didn't seize it because they didn't need it to prove their case. Michelle Bush having to say on the stand that she did not find any evidence that someone remotely accessed the computer will probably be a very good thing for the prosecution, I imagine. I don't think that's going to sink it. Here's the reason why I think that's not going to sink it is because the defense have been like, no one looked at the router. Why didn't anyone look at the router? Why didn't you guys look at the router? They're just like, the prosecution didn't look at the router. Well, you guys didn't look at the router either. If there wasn't anything that was going to be on the router, like if there was so much information that was going to be on the router that could have cleared him, why didn't you guys bring that to light? Right. Uh, If the router was that important, don't you, the defense, have the router? Yeah. Isn't it in the basement of the Big Ten mansion someplace? I I am going to stick with what I said about being optimistic but not confident. I feel like we're going to have a verdict by tomorrow. You think it's going to go that quick? And and I think we'll have one by end of day Wednesday. The TikTok lawyer, Carrie Jernigan, said that each team will get 30 minutes for closing arguments. And then I've also read just in just general court rules. They cannot bring up anything that hasn't already been said. So I think we're going to wrap up. Um, We'll be back with you guys when we have a verdict in this case. Uh, Sadie, do you have any last things to say before we wish these people good night or good day or whatever it is? No, I think we'll we'll see you when there's a verdict. Yeah. Um, anyway, until uh, next time, uh, this is the Leaving Eden podcast. If you like our show, if you want to support our show, you can join our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash Leaving Eden podcast. You can go and you can join our Facebook group if you want to talk about this trial with other people. If you decide that you want to join our Facebook group and talk about this trial, please put a, a, a CW in front of your uh, discussions of it. But the Facebook group is called facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Our subreddit is also called Eden Exodus. And you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Yes, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, where you can see cute pictures of my cat if you need to decompress from all of this. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell yes Sadie, and you can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And until next time. And until next time, hope that you guys have a good day. Bye-bye. But Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.